maximize your influence. Your resource for the top persuasion, influence, and negotiation techniques that will help you maximize your success in life and business. And now, here are your hosts, Kurt Mortensen and Steve Olson. Welcome to episode 61 of Maximize Your Influence. I am your host, Steve Olson, and I have your other host, Kurt Mortensen here. He's the guy that you tune in for. You put up with me. We're glad to be here with you and talking about the four R's of resistance today, or at least starting to talk about it. And also, we're going to see if we can offend some of you. If not, it may offend people close to you because we try to do that every now and then. It's like this bizarre social experiment. Although I think that a lot of times that's like how talk radio is a, is a business, right? The radio shows just want to offend a bunch of people and it gets more people riled up and listening. Isn't that true? That's a big part of it. I don't think we meant to offend all these people. I think it just happened. It just must be in our personalities. It's just We just realized that we're offending every demographic out there and it just became part of the show. So we got to keep doing it. We can't stop. Yeah, yeah. If you're a new listener, we we try to offend people from various parts of the country <laughs> and the world and people who are crazy cat people. A long list, and I think we might need to make it an actual segment. Yeah, the offense segment, we could do that. We'd have to find that perfect sound for that. We'd have to really search. Maybe some guy just going on a tirade with a bunch of bleeps in there or something. <laughs> maybe it is all bleeps. Yeah, maybe it is. That's yeah. Today's segment, well, this one actually happens to be a part of the geeky article moment, which I made a segment even though you didn't want it, but it just, it got legs, it started going downhill, and there was nothing you could do to stop it. Now you're forever associated with geekiness. Congratulations. All right, thank you very much, and here's your favorite sound. <laughs> <laughs> I love that sound. I think that's that's perfect. Uh, I don't know how you could just... Uh, I'm still what? getting a little, as we talk about resistance, you still have a little resistance for me on that one. Yeah, yeah, well, that's it's a knee-jerk <laughs> reaction, we'll get past it. All right. I'm good pass it. I'm going to use some of these ninja objection techniques that we've been talking about. I'm going to sell you on it. All right. Ten yeah. points if you do. You get another ten points this week. Yep. Yep. So you got to earn it this time. Uh, okay. Okay. Well, I'm banking those points, but I'm just going to come out and say it in the most offensive way that I can. And you're going to talk about this article. But if you're a fat male teenager, you're going to be broke your whole life. <laughs> How's that? that was the sugar-coated version, and let me kind of <laughs> mend the ways what you were supposed to say. The article in Demography is the magazine has about obese male teens earn less money in adulthood. That's how you were supposed to say it. But that's anyway, okay. that's good news because the well, – that's not good news. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> the interesting thing about this, it's always been women and obesity and how there is a direct correlation. Studies have been done, especially for women and men that when they're in their adulthood, there's a direct correlation between how much money they're in their lifetime and if they're overweight. And it's something we all struggle with. I've been on a diet, Steve. I know you've been on a diet. It's something we all work on. But if you're over 20% of that target weight, it does impact your earnings. In the past, it's always been women more than men, but both suffered in this thing because there's something about judging and different aspects of that. And we know we're not supposed to judge and it shouldn't matter. And I, I agree it shouldn't matter, but it does. And so the finding's interesting. The first time... I've seen the male side of this, and they looked at teenagers in Sweden, the United Kingdom, and the United States. And so they spent time looking at different people as far as where they're born and what was going on and how much overweight they were. And they found some interesting things as far as what was going on. Because the previous research, like I mentioned, showed that obese young women pay that price in the labor market. So this is the first time they really looked at guys and 
They found out that obese teenage boys can grow up to earn 18% less in adulthood. And that's a pretty big number, especially when we talked about wealth last week and money. And they found the same pattern in all three countries. One of the interesting things they found that I did not know, here's my learning moment, is that we know that people judge you and that's part of it. But they also said that sometimes they found some correlation that actually being overweight early on, that people have lower levels of cognitive and non-cognitive skills. So it could affect IQ is one thing. It affects self-esteem. We know that being bullied and growing up, but then also the way people judge you in different aspects. So there's like three different things that could really affect how this works. And it's a real eye-opener that, again, it's not right. It shouldn't happen. It does. People shouldn't judge. They do. But it's interesting, this is the first time they've lumped men into this category, and it's interesting, especially on the cognitive skill side, what this does to people's psyche and to their body. So if they're overweight, they have a lower IQ? You know, it's hard to say that, but they came out and said that being obese as an adolescent, they often possess lower levels of cognitive and non-cognitive skills. And so they did, in a nice way, say that. And that was the first time I've seen and heard that correlation, which would affect, obviously, lifetime earnings if you're not thinking as well as your coworkers or have the great ideas or you're just not as bright. That could have something to do with it. This is a big chicken and the egg deal, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, there are a lot of things that could affect that. But even now, we all have to do it. We all have to work it and we have to watch our weights because it's easier to lose control. But again, that magic number is 20%. If you're 20% that target weight, it affects how people judge you, your ability to influence, your ability to earn money. Again, I, I'm not saying that it's right. Don't get mad at me. I'm just giving you reality. Mm. Wow. We're going to have to post a, a link to that one on the blog for sure. So it's a, to keep it under that 20%, right? Enjoy the ribs up to a point. Yeah. Eat your ribs, but you also better start jogging. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you better. <laughs> well, that you, you're right, though. Most of these studies about income tend to be about women. I think there have been a lot of them about men and height, right? Mm-hmm. Don't taller men tend to make more money? Yeah, the majority of CEOs that are men are over six feet. Wow. So there's something about height and power and authority, that subconscious trigger in the initial meeting. There is something about height that makes a huge difference, so that's part of it too. Yeah, so the the worst you could be statistically, and I'm not trying to be offensive, but I probably will be anyways, is... If you're short and obese, uh, the numbers are not in your favor. doesn't mean that you can't do really well and be successful, but statistically, the deck is stacked against you. Well, if you're short, obese, and ugly, then yeah, wow. Yeah, <laughs> you better have a dynamite well, attitude. You offended everyone, right? <laughs> yeah, all the short and obese and ugly people. There we go. But how many people can freely admit that they're short and obese and ugly? I don't know. We'd have to do a study on that. I guess if you are in that category, please email us and let us know. <laughs> Who gets to decide? Yeah, that guy's short and obese and ugly, right? Yeah, that's <laughs> a good point. Yeah, have your coworkers do a little vote and decide if that's your category. Less yeah, I'm sure they'll be happy to chime in. <laughs> yeah, they will. Because <laughs> you won't be the CEO then, and you won't make a ton of money like this. Uh, you've been paying attention to the NFL problem. with. Uh, I guess everybody that plays in the NFL is a total thug. And uh, beats their wife and kids, right? Yeah, that's what they're trying to say. And they're going back and forth on that. Resign, don't resign. Did you do it? And are you a role model? You're not a role model. So it's interesting. Yeah. yeah. A lot of thugs in there. and They have to be role models. It's, and they've never had a good role model in their life. Now they have to be a role model. And I think that's part of the challenge. Yeah. Well, I'm stereotyping here. But just look at a lot of these guys. I mean, are you really shocked this is happening? It's been happening all this time? <laughs> 
We know it's not the first time it's ever happened to someone playing in the NFL. So now it's happening, all this turmoil. Maybe the news people are just stirring the pot and trying to make a story. Yeah, yeah. Well, a lot of this is coming back on the CEO of the NFL, Roger Goodell, who makes $43 million a year. Mm. That's a pretty sweet gig. Yeah, that's probably why he doesn't want to resign. <laughs> that's I know. That's what I thought. That he said, no, I, I'm not resigning. Translation is, it's going to take a lot more crap than this because $43 million, I mean, we said money buys happiness. Well, that's true. But then the big picture, that's probably, what, one half of 1% that the NFL makes that they're paying the person that's making it happen? If, if CNN and ESPN was saying that I was so evil and that I was such a horrible person, I'm sure I could ha hold on at least another six months. For the for an extra twenty million. <laughs> for an extra twenty million bucks, I'm sure we could all figure it out uh, while you were on your yacht in the Mediterranean, right? That's right. <laughs> Take your six months paid leave of absence, and then you can hang out on your yacht and let it blow over. That's right. That's right. I mean, it's at forty three million. I mean, uh, you can you can get awful uncomfortable with that much money. So, all right. Well, good. We've gone through our article about obese male teens and how they earn less money in adulthood. So if you've got a, an obese male teen, get them on that treadmill, I guess. <laughs> you increase their chances. But hey, you know what? Money isn't the only determining factor of success. But you know, like we talked about last week, it certainly does buy some happiness. So it sure would be nice to have some of it. A lot of it. A lot of it. There you go. Yeah. So... We are teaching you how to get more of it if that's what you choose to do. We're teaching you how to persuade and influence with more success, uh, with more leverage, and to get more done in a shorter period of time. And if your end goal is money, this show will help you. If your end goal is influence or something else with people you love or people in your life, this show will help you to do it. And today we are going to start a segment on what we call the four R's of resistance. Anytime somebody is resisting you and not doing what you want them to do, which, hey, they're people, when do they do what you want them to do, right? It's a, it seems like they're always in the way. <laughs> so that's why we want to talk about this uh, on the four R's of resistance. Kurt, drum roll, what is the first R of resistance? The first R will be reason. And I just want to reiterate what you said, that you know, everything you want in life is on the other side of persuasion and influence, whether it be income or whatever it is. It's a very important skill for you to have. And then on the flip side, as we get into resistance, you have to realize you might have the greatest product in the world. You might have the greatest presentation in the world. You're going to get resistance. And how you handle resistance is going to be very, very important because people are going to resist. People are going to say no. And you have to have the right mindset as a persuader. Just think, okay, why did they say no? Which one of the four R's was it? How can I fix it? That's how you get better. You learn more from losing a sale than you do from gaining a sale a lot of times if you spend the time to think it through. So that's why I want to spend time to talk about all four of these. And the first one is reason. You didn't give them a reason. You didn't generate an interest, a need, a want. You didn't find out the what's in it for me. You didn't spend the time. All you did was vomit the 12 reasons why you like your product or your service instead of really finding what's important to them you got to find the reason. Now, there's two things you have to understand here that are really important about this. If people don't really distinguish this many times, if somebody's calling you, you have to find their reason. They already have one. They're calling you. Now, if you're calling them, you have to a lot of times create a reason 
for them to want to do business with you. In fact, it reminds me of a story about Airman Jones. He was in the military induction center, and he was really good at creating reasons for these young recruits to buy life insurance. Now, you talk about one of the hardest things in the world is selling life insurance to an 18-year-old. What do you think, Steve? You think that's one of the easiest things or the hardest things in the world? I, well, they're indestructible. <laughs> they're never going to die. That's right. Yeah. Frontal lobe's not developed. They're indestructible. Do you want an 18-year-old to buy life insurance? Do you want to take part of their pay to pay for their life insurance? So this airman who was in charge of training, a full-day training for all these new military inductees, had a 100% close rate on this life insurance. And his superior was going, whoa, what's going on? What's happening here? I've never seen this. These numbers are out of control. So he just sat into the training, and everything seemed normal. And he talked about this GI life insurance, and he told the prospects in the room, these 18-year-olds, that, look, this is completely optional. Here's military insurance that you can have. If you go to battle and something happens and you don't have any insurance, your benefactors will get around $6,000. But if you do go to battle and something happens, your benefactors will get $200,000, right? Then he said, who do you think they're going to send to battle first? <laughs> okay. Now, I'm not going to go on the morals or ethics of that, okay? And I've had, in fact, I was telling this about two months ago, and someone raised their hand and says, that's what they did to me. So this is happening out there. But he created a compelling reason to buy life insurance. Again, I'm not going to go the morals or ethics of that. That's all for another day. But you got to create that reason. And especially when they're calling you, the what's in it for me? Because you can data dump. You can list it. You have to think what they're thinking about. What's in it for me? Why should I care? Who are you? The Those three W's that everyone's asking themselves when you're talking about your product or service. You actually had a member of the military claim that they didn't buy the GI life insurance and, and they think that they got sent into battle because of it, huh? No, no, no. They raised their hand that they went through that same close. Oh, oh okay. So they're actually using this. <laughs> they're using that. And I was just floored. At, like, wow. So I don't know. He was an older gentleman, so this is well, but I don't know if they're still using it, but it's important to realize they created a compelling reason because the audience didn't have one. They're not going to do it unless you create that reason. It's funny. If you're if you're a scared 18-year-old, you're joining the service, and you're sitting there in that meeting, I could see how they would go for that. Now, obviously, there's not some guy behind a door somewhere going, okay, who are we going to deploy? Here's the guys <laughs> that we have insurance on. That's right. Let's make them the Well, cook, hopefully not. Right? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I hope not. That's right. I like to think that the world is better than that, but I've been wrong before. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that's good. That's you know that's a funny example. It makes it very clear that, that we we've got to give them a reason to buy. Is there anything else that you would add to that? I mean, how do we really bolster that so that people just aren't really like ambivalent and going? Eh, there's a sales guy talking. How would yeah. we make that a compelling reason? couple things. First is really understanding the difference between a feature and a benefit. So if you're taking notes, what you should is if you write down feature and then benefit, right in the middle, write the word which means. And we've all heard it as persuasion, right? It's sell the, the benefits, not the features. But we get stuck a lot of times because a lot of times the prospect you're talking to will assign a benefit to the feature. If I'm selling computers and I say it has 62,000 RAM and it has this and that, some people get excited. Some people, their eyes glaze over. If I say the car has 450 horsepower, to a lot of people, that means nothing. I don't know. Does that mean anything to you, Steve? The horsepower thing? Sure. Uh, can you a assign little a bit. If I say 450 horsepower, can you assign a benefit in your brain without me doing it for you? I don't really think so, no. Okay. And some people can, and that's a perfect example. 
Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. That's why people keep going features, because sometimes their prospects in their mind will assign a benefit to it. And you have to be careful. It's all about the benefits. That's what's triggered the emotions. In fact, I was doing a secret shopping at a Cadillac dealership, right, to see how well they were doing. And, of course, what do I got to do? And like, really? They didn't know who I was and what I was doing. And they said, what type of car do you want to look at? Let's go for a drive. And I said, well, let's look at the Escalades. So he grabs his key fob, and he starts the car from 50 feet away. Mm-hmm. And that's the feature. I'm like, I can turn the key. Who cares? He didn't assign any benefit. He's hoping I would. And, of course, the benefit would be on a hot day or on a cold day. Hits another button on the key fob, and the rear tailgate goes up all by itself. And I'm thinking, I can open that up. It's not that heavy. Because he was just data dumping the features, which means if my hands are full, groceries opens by itself, that could be a great feature. Then he gets in the car, and he shows me the, the satellite radio that has, what, 200 stations. He went on and on about it, and that was a negative thing for me because, you know, I'm a personal development junkie. I'm not going to listen to that stuff. I don't want to pay their monthly fee. I will never use it. He was just assuming since he liked it, I would like it, and that was a negative thing. And then he goes, well, it has a camera you can back up. Even with the camera, I still look over my shoulder. I can turn around. He doesn't think the benefits, small children, or even backing up to a boat. You don't need someone to back you up. And he just kept going and going. He's all heated at air conditioning seats, and, and I'm always hot. There was no benefit there. All he had to tell me, the benefit could be on a hot summer day, turning the heated seat on your friend is a great practical joke. Okay, <laughs> Done. I would buy it. And that's what he was just data dumping. And so you have to ask the questions to find the benefits that really matter, what's going on. All he had to do is, well, why are you looking at Escalade? Well, because you know me, I love boats more than cars. Well, I need something that will pull a boat. Well, here's the Escalade, the biggest engine in its class. In fact, it has a camera that you can back up to your boat with nobody helping you. Okay, done. Where do I sign? Right? Sometimes it can be that easy. And that's the first thing is focus on those benefits. If you are talking about feature, make sure that you're assigning the right benefit to it. That will really help you out. That will give them a reason to be persuaded. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's good stuff. So you got what? what is the pain? What is the motivation? What features translating into benefits address that most closely? Exactly. So Airman Jones was, hey, these people didn't want to die. If you buy the life insurance, you have less of a chance of dying. <laughs> That's right. So you got to peg that. And it might be as simple as, hey, if a genie appeared and made your life perfect, what would that look like? Or mm-hmm. if there's a perfect solution, what would that look like to you? If I could show you three ways to do this or that, you know, if you're asking the right questions, you're going to do that. But do remember where you draw that line. You're calling them. You've got to create a compelling reason. If they call you, you've got to find the reason. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's good. Yeah, and that's certainly easier to do when they call you. <laughs> easier to find a reason exactly. than it is to create one. It's a much easier phone call, but a lot of people go straight into data dump like they would if they were calling somebody. No, they're calling you. They've got their reason. Your job is to find it, give them the benefit and the solution, and persuasion becomes much easier. Well, that's why the whole marketing industry exists, right? is to make the phone ring with people that have a reason and, and just make life easier for sales. Yeah, definitely true. Absolutely. Yep. Now, once you've done that, you've created that reason, you also have to understand one of the 12 laws of persuasion is the law of scarcity, right? That also gives a people a reason to purchase because if they think they can put it off, they can do it later, they can go to a store and get it. That's why you see on the infomercials, not available at stores, right? Because they have to do it right now. So if you could create that scarcity, that urgency, it drives people to action. They want to do it right now. So right when you go to a shoe store, last one left in your side, limited supply, sale ends today. 
That's why we see limit four at the grocery store. My wife sends me to the store for ice cream. I come in with four. She says, why'd you buy four? I say limit four. <laughs> There's just a scarcity thing there. And that's important. You have to create a compelling reason for them to act right now. It has to be believable, right? This is the one law of persuasion that's been abused and overused. I mean, really, how often can a furniture store go out of business? I mean, really, right? You've all seen the them time, all over I the guess, place. huh? Because that's urgency, that's scarcity. You go through that furniture store and that one sold, that one sold, which is not only social validation, but it's scarcity. An interesting one is Home Shopping Network. They have a countdown clock. You can't get it in stores. The quantity's going down. And if you don't act right now, you'll never see it again, which mm -hmm. gives people a great reason to purchase right now. I love what uh, Orbitz has done. I think they're all doing it now, but they all, they put in one thing that dramatically increased airline sales. You know what it was? Was it that only two seats left at this price thing? Exactly. Oh, that's brutal. I'm, I'm crazy. Like, it's brutal, right? We, <laughs> yeah. all go, we don't know if it's true or not, but we're like, well, it's got to be true. It's on the Internet. They can't lie, right? So you think, oh, I'm looking up airfares. Hey, that's a great one. I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it. Oh, two, uh, two, two left at this price, and you got to get it now. Or even what I saw at Hotels.com where they do, it's a combination of social validation and scarce, they said. Like 20 people are looking at this hotel right now, or 15 have booked this hotel in the last Very 24 hours. Effective. Man, that's brutal. That's yeah. good thinking. Ten, I'm going to give that person 20 points who came up with that because that's creating the validation that people are doing it, but it creates that scarcity. So you have to really understand that scarcity, that urgency. And remember, it has to be believable. You can't just make it up. You have to let them know why it's happening. You know, even when there's not a reason it works, we look at Disney and how many DVDs they sell, right? Their magic word at the end of that commercial selling a DVD, you know what it is? Uh, the vault. Yeah, it's going back in the Disney vault. Nah, I don't think there's a vault, but we do know Disney will pull those DVDs and you won't see them <laughs> yeah. for another decade. They say last time this century, last time this decade, and they're good. You have to create that. And we can spend a lot of time on scarcity, but you have to give them a reason to act today that deadline, maybe limited space, restricting their freedom once in a lifetime. And here's what I want to point out with this is that, first of all, make sure it's legitimate, that you're telling the truth, make sure it's believable, and a lot of times you can buffer your scarcity with some type of reward, meaning if I was doing cell phones and the sale ends today, so look, the sale ends today because of this and this and the newer models are coming out and we're doing this, but if you act today, I can double your minutes or I can double your data so sometimes when you do that takeaway, sometimes a little reward buffers that, especially when you deal with different personalities, and it works really, really well. Yeah, yeah, definitely true. I was at a house today, and it's an older couple. They own their house free and clear. They have no mortgage, and the house is in excellent condition, and they want to sell it. And they repeatedly told me, yeah, but we're in no hurry, right? And when you're yeah. in sales, that's not what you want to hear from, yeah. your, from your prospects, right? And I've learned that patience is definitely a virtue in real estate. You've got to be patient, and that you do seem a lot more credible if you're not constantly trying to turn up pressure. But I got my magazine article from, I get one every week from our local board of realtors here, and it had some stuff from the uh, the economic division of that board. It's talking about how interest rates are likely going to increase before March of 2015. You think I'm going to put that in front of these people? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. I got to have a legit reason to kind of make them hurry it along a little bit. You just agree with me. It really, there is no rush. We want to make sure you get the best price. My only concern, and let me share that with you, and that's creating that urgency, that scarcity. Because if they think you're pulling it out of the air, it'll backfire on you. But again, it's been abused and overused. But I think we've all been burned enough that it's always deep down. It's kind of believable. I remember. 
going to buy a car and they're out. Oh, we got someone coming here in an hour to look at it. You got to buy it now. And I'm like, okay, whatever. I'm Mr. Persuader here. I'm coming back in the morning. We'll purchase it in the morning. And I came back in the morning and it was gone. <laughs> so it only takes once. Yeah, once. So deep down, we know that there's a lot of truth to this. This could happen. But just remember that. Make sure it's legitimate. It's believable. And if you need to, buffer it with some type of reward and it will work wonder. And it gives people to make a reason because if they think they have four and a half months to pay their taxes, <laughs> like we do in the United States, they're going to wait till the very last day. If they think they can get it someplace else, if they think they can think about it, if they think they can do some research, if they think all these other things, you haven't created that compelling reason for them to make a decision today, and it's going to really hurt your ability to persuade. Very good points. Anything else you want to add on that first R of resistance? Yeah, just remember that even though there are 27 reasons why your product or service is so great, it only matters what's important to them. Too many persuaders are data dumping or vomiting what they like about it, what they're going to do about it, hoping that they'll assign a benefit to it. You make sure you get in their brain and find out the what's in it for them, and it makes a huge difference, and it actually saves you quite a bit of time. Good call. Good call. Why don't we queue up the Homer? Come on, Homer. Don't, don't, don't. There he is. So I understand that you <laughs> you have the blunder today, and this <laughs> this subject has been the feature before, I believe. That's right. So the blunder, the persuasion blunder, goes to my high school son, <laughs> who's going through his senior year, and of course I think they call it senioritis, to where he hasn't been going to as much school as he probably should, and it's starting to bite him in the butt, especially since the year's pretty much just started. Absences were getting out of control. So in his bright little non-frontal lobe mind, he calls the school up as me, pretending to be me, <laughs> as his father to excuse all his absences for the week. <laughs> okay. Now, in their mind, adults are stupid. They'll never figure it out. And maybe he's gotten away with it before. But there's something about the deepness of the voice. There's something about the confidence in the voice uh -huh. where I got the phone call. Did you just call us? And, of course, I didn't. And, of course, it all hit the fan. <laughs> and there's other things happening to him right now. But the lesson there being is when you're lying, when you're being deceptive, people can pick it up in your voice. Yeah. I mean, this was over the phone and your voice and your confidence. And there was that subconscious trigger where that secretary knew something was up, something was wrong. And it's just a big lesson on subconscious triggers to where if you don't believe in it, if you know you're lying, if you're being deceptive, if you try to pull the wool over someone's eyes, a lot of times little nuances come out in your voice or even your body language if you're face-to-face. -face, and people will sense it. They won't necessarily call you on it. They're not going to say, oh, you're lying. Like we talked about earlier, they're just going to sense it and feel it and not do business with you. So be very careful and be congruent. <laughs> you got to get a straw man to do your dirty work for you. That's right. Right? You got cuz that when dad says, "Did you call the school to wipe your apps?" you can say, "No, I did not." <laughs> right? That was like the last year's version, the note from the teacher that didn't look like it came from a teacher, it looked like it came from a 2-year-old, but that's a whole other story. <laughs> well, Thank heavens your son is just not very good at committing fraud, right? That's right. That's is a good thing. It'd be it's, worse if he was getting away with it, then that would be a whole nother road we don't want to go down. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, if he was really good at being a uh, con man, <laughs> you want him to explore other paths. Yeah, that would be a different career path. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's a good blunder. That's a really good blunder. So, um <laughs> All right. Well, that's good. Everybody, 
Thanks so much for listening to the show. It's been episode 61 of Maximize Your Influence. We're number one into a four-part segment on the four R's of resistance. We'll be coming at you next week with the second R. Email us, MaximizeYourInfluence at gmail.com. Subscribe at iTunes and leave us a review on iTunes. Do you like the show? Do you want us to keep doing the show? One easy thing that's going to take you 30 seconds is you log into your iTunes and leave a review. Say, hey, this is a good show. We would appreciate that you would elaborate a little bit more, but we'll take that. We'll take, hey, this is a good show, if that's all you've got. Yeah, if you can't think of something more creative, just use that one. That's okay. Yeah, yeah. Although if there's a 100 that all say the same thing, that yeah. might be kind of fishy. But yeah, I guess it's have, better than nothing. It's better than nothing. It's better than calling and trying to erase your absences, right? So, that's right. <laughs> we'll close the floodgates on that one if all of a sudden 30 reviews show up saying, hey, this is a good show. We'll right. alert you. So, all right, everybody, thanks again. We'll catch you next week on another episode of Maximize Your Influence. Have a good one. See you next week. 